Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. My name's Tim Doyle, and this is Project Sports. Enjoy the show. Nice. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Project Sports. My name's Tim Doyle, and today is just a Saturday. It's Halloween. It's a good day. And on the podcast today, I have a friend of mine who I work with. He's a colleague, but also like a family member. And uh, he's just coming on here to talk about a little bit about some weapons and shooting. So sort of sports, and there's competitive shooting involved with that. But uh, also just a good conversation. So it's just sort of like a special Saturday. We're not really all going to talk about you know pro sports or the NFL or anything like that. We're just going to have a good conversation, and we're going to have a good time. What's going on, Kyler Harrington? How's it going, my friend? It's going pretty good, Doyle. How you been? I've been good, hanging in there. Hey, I, I do nice. have a quick question for you. What is a Kyler? What is a Kyler? Yeah, uh, the best way I can describe it is a fairly unique individual that you only find once in a while. Very comparable to a unicorn. Very, yes, I, I would agree with that. Uh, where are you from, Kyler? Um, quite a few places, but to, to sum it all up, New Mexico. New Mexico. Oh, what a great state. Yes. So I come from Massachusetts, so I know nothing about <laughs> your state at all. And I know you grew up on a, a farm, yeah? I mean, you could call it a farm. I mean, it's more of a it's more of a, a house with a lot of land that we did farm things on, but not an official farm. No. Okay. And and how many siblings did you have growing up on this farm? Um, <laughs> Weighted question. <laughs> nine. I want to say nine, but then nine. again, like it's hard to keep track of them all. Did you enjoy growing up with a lot of siblings? Oh, yeah, it was perfect. It was totally fine. I mean, we had like three to four people a room, but it really wasn't that bad. Uh, coming into the, you know, the world and whatnot, you, you find that it's a lot easier to deal with people when you grow up with that many siblings. Agreed. I mean, yeah, that's probably got to be to your benefit, dealing with all different types oh, yeah, of personalities. Your, your tolerance level is like super freaking high. Like you could tolerate almost anything just about. Yeah, I would I would think so for sure. So you're the oldest or like near the top of the age group? I'm in the middle. You're in the middle. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was I was kind of the middle child. Uh, me, me and my twin sister were the middle children. So fun fact about Kyler Harrington, he's got a twin. Yeah. A, a female twin, correct? Yes, definitely. She uh, she definitely got the brains, and um, you got you got the bronze. No. <laughs> 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 I mean, <laughs> she kind of took everything. Not gonna lie, she was the uh, she was the dominant uh, life form in in the uh, the growing process of the womb. Well, I would say you got the brains a little bit, yeah. You, your ability to memorize uh, useless information. I'll, Come on now. I'll, I'll give that one to her. <laughs> uh, she outmatches I mean, you in useless information. That's nah, that's got to be impossible. No, no, I mean, like, memorizing stuff is probably one thing, but actually functioning like a human being is another, and that's just something I don't have. Yes, your trip to London. Yes, I'm aware. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, where, what do you do in Nevada that's, that's fun? I know that you like, to, you like weapons and you like shooting. Is, is that really why you got into it? Because the state has decent laws where you're able to do those things? You want to talk a little bit about that? Wait, you say Nevada? Oh, New Mexico. My bad. New Mexico. Whatever. Yeah. They're all the <laughs> same, bro. 
They're all the same. No, they're in the they same are. little they're, area. They're all general, general wastelands of a desert with uh, very wild lifestyles. Yeah, come so. on, really? They could have just put all four of those states together, to be honest. Arizona, Nevada, New Mexico, and was it? what's the other ones? The fourth yeah, one? you literally, uh, Utah, Arizona, Nevada, Utah, Colorado. Yeah. yeah, you could have just thrown all five of those states into one big cluster. There would really be no great distant difference between any of them. Exactly, just a big giant so. New Mexico. They should have just named it. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I still, I still have people who uh, miss the new part of Me- of New Mexico, and they think I say I'm from Mexico, and they're like, "Oh, how are you here?" I mean, it's, it, I'm, I'm a U.S. citizen still, guys. I mean, that's, that hasn't changed. No, hasn't changed at all. I mean, I, I don't think you're a U.S. citizen, but that's 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 for later on in this conversation. <laughs> we'll get into that. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. We we will remember that one later. Yeah, we'll remember that one later. When when did you first start <laughs> shooting uh, firearms in general? Like what um, age? So first time shooting a firearm was about thirteen years old, but first time actually getting involved in them, I was ten. Ten? Okay, so yeah, what, so did, ten what years did that look old like? Is, um, I went to go buy a book at a Sam's Club, and I saw this huge encyclopedia about just weapons. Um, it was like 200, 300 plus illustrations and descriptions. And I was like, cool. Seems like an interesting read. So I just kind of picked it up and started reading it. And after that, 10 years later, here I am. Here you are. And you've got a unique fascination with certain types of weapons, if I'm correct. Handguns? Um, it kind of jumps from weapon to weapon, uh, from platform to platform. A lot of people will normally ask me, like, oh, hey, what's your favorite uh, gun or something like that? And it's like, is it right now? I'm kind of looking at, you know, pump-action shotguns and just, you know, delving into that. I never really have a fixed preference. Um, I do have specific platforms that I give credit for being phenomenal or, or have, like, a soft spot for, like the, uh, the AR platforms or um, uh, bolt-action rifles, stuff like that. Oh, that's pretty cool. So is there a, like a certain make or model that like uh, a business makes that like uh, for a weapon that you enjoy the most, like Colt or um, not really? No, no. You, you, so, so it's more of like the base of like what just what you're into at the time. Yeah, mostly. But, you know, uh, one one platform that I really do have a soft spot for, as I think a lot of Americans do, is is the uh, the AR platform or the AR-15 platform, not uh and the reason why that rifle is so appealing to me is just because the level of modularity, the ease of use, the uh, the vast uh, the the vast market of accessories and, and parts you can have uh, access to. The thing's basically Legos. Like you can literally just pull the thing apart and reassemble it with different bits and pieces. But uh, in terms of like manufacturers, there isn't a specific one that I like from a manufacturer. I like them all. But there are certain brands that I also have kind of a bias towards. Brands like uh, Sig Sauer, Winchester. Um, I've had a, I want to like Browning, but Brownings are so expensive. So it's not like trucks and cars where it's like, oh, I love this car from this manufacturer and this model with me. It's more like a really spread out. It's like if you threw a vase at the wall, there's just different shards everywhere. That's kind of how I look at things. There's really no... I like this model gun from this manufacturer in this caliber. That's not a thing. Yeah. So, so if if you had to say that you really enjoy the AR platform because you can take it apart and put it together, so it kind of mirrors like 
why a lot of Americans, you said that they like that platform because it has a sense of freedom to it. So it's kind of like droid phones, like some users like droids because they can customize the way they want it. So the, the, the base of the AR, you can change things out, make it your own. And that's why you enjoy it the most is, is what I'm kind of getting. Yeah. Um, that, that's actually a, that's actually a real big part of it. Um, another really big part of it too, is, uh, the price for them really isn't that bad on average an AR will run you about thousand dollars on average. A really good one will probably be about 1500 to 1700 and uh they're very light recoiling ammunition is very affordable for them so a lot of people are kind of jumping on on the on the bandwagon for this one because uh, it's just so uh, it's a it's a very easy rifle to work with yeah that's, that's i mean that sounds excellent so it let's say i was billy bob from montana and i didn't knew nothing about weapons and you had a reference starting point for a weapon for someone to buy, get comfortable with, a new user, which, if you had to recommend one, you were behind the counter to a customer, which one would you try to point someone in, in the correct direction, be able to start shooting? For a first-time firearm? Yeah, first-time firearm. Um, I like to work work things up. So normally I would go with like a bare-bones, single-shot, bolt-action 22 mm. to kind of build those fundamentals fundamentals uh, a lot of people will normally try to shun that and just want to go for the big guns first but i feel like to really start off properly is kind of where you should go from is a very bare bones rifle in 22 get familiar with it and uh, work your way up from there but uh that's kind of where i started off at and i went from that and i kind of jumped the gun a little bit and went straight to a 300 win mag which is a really big round um it's bigger than a 30 out six and uh, that's this kind of then I started backing up a little bit, working with the other guns. But for a first-time user, that's kind of what I would give them. Oh, that's that's pretty cool. So I'm Billy Bob. We're here. I got my weapon. We're going to the range. What are some tips that you can give me while I'm on the range for like my first time shooting? Uh, what would you say would be the, some of the key most important things when engaging with the firearm? Um, for, first of all, it's definitely got to be safety. Um, a lot of people really harp on this for a lot of reasons just like with anything firearms are capable of causing harm and also death i think a lot of people are very familiar with that uh that concept but a lot of people yet still to this very day go to the hospital because of accidental discharges and accidental uh, accidentally shooting themselves There's a reason why the 22 is the number one round or the the most commonly uh used cartridge in accidental shootings is because people neglect it and think that, oh, it's so tiny, it's not going to do any harm, when in reality, it's actually quite the, uh, it's still a bullet, and it could still do harm. So a lot of people will just, uh, you know, <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of cases of people accidentally shooting themselves or shooting others. So safety is going to be a really big thing. You know, there are four basic rules that if you follow, it's guaranteed next to impossible that uh, you're not going to hurt anybody, and it's to keep the muzzle pointed in a safe direction at all times. Keep your finger off the trigger unless you're ready to fire and you're on target. Um, know what know your target, know what's beyond your target, and know what's beyond that. And treat every firearm as if it's loaded. And if you if you follow all those rules, then it's 99.9% chance you're not going to hurt anybody. Mm. The reason why I say 99.9 .9 is because reality is a thing, and reality doesn't play by our rules. So and weapon malfunctions and other things like that. But for the most part, I yeah, that does happen. Um, it's not as common with newer weapons, but older weapons, yeah, you for can sure. have a lot of malfunctions. 
So you have to be mindful of that as well. What what you would do in that situation, so already have a plan going in if you're going to be using an, yeah, old, so, an older weapon. Yeah, definitely. Um, normally, whenever somebody's getting new into firearms, I wouldn't recommend they get an older gun. And by older, I don't mean like an older design. I mean like a literally older gun, like maybe 150 years old. Like those guns have been run you know, through the dirt and through the ground, and they're just all worn out. So there's chances that you may have a uh, sear engagement slip, and that'll cause, you know, hammer fall or something along those lines, or maybe a striker to fly forward. Uh, you could have weapons that are so old that the uh, there was a squib low, so there's like a bullet hanging out in the barrel, and you just don't want to actually blow that up. I mean, there's so many things that could happen hmm. with older guns because uh, things were different back then, <laughs> so... Yeah, yeah. I do not recommend for a first-time shooter that he picks up his uh, great-granddaddy's little .30-06 rifle and takes it to the range. I wouldn't recommend that, especially if it hasn't been shot in eons. Yeah. So, all right. If you're so, going to be getting first time, you you really want to make sure you get a, a brand new firearm, one that has never been used, because it's not as likely to have any of those failures. Absolutely. So now that safety has been implemented into the conversation, and we're at the firing range, what are some techniques that we can get into? that is going to help a shooter become proficient in hitting the target where they want to hit the target? Uh, for, first thing I would recommend is, is consistency. You want to make sure that you have that firearm held and positioned the exact same way as closely as you can every single time. A lot of it comes down to muscle memory. Uh, whenever I first started shooting, I always had the hardest time trying to uh, hit the target. But what I would do is I would go home I would uh, purchase what are called snap caps or dummy rounds. And they're just, this is ammunition that's not actually ammunition. They could be machined out of aluminum or it's an actual round that just has no gunpowder and there's holes drilled into the case so you can't put gunpowder in it. And I would just uh, practice dry fire drills. And I would, I, would, uh, I would lay prone or I would stand up with my rifle. Um, there's a bolt action through in a way back. And I would just run snap caps through it, and I would just practice getting behind the gun, getting behind the scope, get very comfortable, very familiar with where my hands are going, where the stock is going, where my cheek is going. You want to make sure that uh, you have the exact same shooting position every single time as closely as you can get it, because the more consistent you are, the more consistent you're going to be able to fire, and the tighter your shot groups are going to be getting. So a lot of people normally just kind of grab a gun, and they just kind of go and start shooting, and you're going to notice that, you know, their stock's all wonky, their, their grip's all over the place, they're, they're slamming that trigger, and it's, just, it's very sloppy. You know, you want it to be very, uh, very clean, very controlled. A lot of people will say things like, you want the trigger to surprise you. I don't like that phrase. I'd prefer the phrase, you want to know your trigger. You want to know when it's going to break. You want to know how far back you got to pull it. You want to know how heavy it is. got to be very familiar with the firearm if you want to shoot well with it. You know, you and the gun kind of have to become one whenever you're doing that. This, this, is, uh, this is great advice. Uh, similar things to what I've heard since I've been in the military as well. I think that's very good concrete information to share with someone. Um, there's also a, a big thing when, and it seems like that you've tried to master this even before you came in, but a lot of people come in with bad habits. If they're previous shooters, uh, a lot of oftentimes Academy says, you know, if you've shot before, it's actually harder for you to become an expert shooter the way I'm going to teach you because you've got bad habits. So trying to clear, be, I, I would say just be open to coaching. If someone's got a correction yes. or they see something that's wrong, just be open to making your mark different. It's nothing to do with, hey, you're not good enough. And it's like, no, nah, like you want to be proficient at shooting. If someone has something to say to make your, your shots closer in, in a more 
compact area, I mean, yeah, just be open to a technique that an instructor might have for you. Well, as as actually the kind of, kind of the third thing I would throw in there, definitely, you really hit the nail on the head. There is even if you have a history of you know using a gun or firing a gun or marksmanship or whatever it may be, uh, you really want to make sure that uh, that you're you're willing to listen to what people have to say because uh, to put it simply, nobody's an expert. Nobody knows everything. You know, whenever you go into a class or whenever you go into uh, to talk to somebody, you want to go in with an open mind and be willing to listen to what they're telling you. I go through these CADM classes all the time, and whenever I walk in, I walk in with the mentality that I don't know anything, I don't know what I'm doing, not really, but, you know, I just, like, get that mindset that I don't know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I'm going to listen to what he has to say. I'm going to take that. I'm going to remember. I'm going to pick it apart, and I'm going to build upon that. You know, they say that uh, one of the worst ways to try and, like, one of the worst peoples to teach are the ones that have already been taught a lot of the times, and that's because they think they already know it all, and they walk in and they do something and they mess it all up. So it's really important that, okay, if you have a history of it, doesn't mean you know everything. Listen to the guy. He's teaching. Doesn't matter what you know. Let him break everything down. Pick it apart. That's probably the third thing and, is, you know, you never know at all. And this brings so you... So be willing to learn more. This brings you back to the point where you were talking about making sure that you're continuously putting yourself in position to practice because... I mean, that's essentially what you're doing. You're clearing your mind and you're allowing yourself to become better and you're listening to the instructor and you're getting that repetition of what you need to do, gearing your mind. So when you're in a real world situation, if you ever had to deploy your weapon, you have that same thing. You clear your mind, you act, you respond, you're good to go. And you feel a lot yes. more comfortable in that situation. Obviously, hopefully it's only ever competitive shooting or going out in the range, having a yeah. good time that we ever have to deploy that. But I mean, that those that's some great tips and advice. Um, I want to transition yes, a little bit to another topic that we had a, a funny conversation about uh, on post, but you said that there are misconceptions about weapons. What are What is the oh, biggest no idea. <laughs> Give me some misconceptions there, about weapons. There are so many misconceptions and myths that we could probably do like a whole three-part topic on it, and I can just write them all down because there's a lot of about guns that people normally don't grasp and it's because uh, I blame Hollywood and the mainstream media primarily for these misconceptions because it happens all the time when I'm talking to nearly anybody I was actually talking to somebody who told me that uh, if uh, if I was to slam my M4's buttstock on the ground the gun would fire and I was like well what do you mean and he goes well if the bolt flies forward then it's going to fire around and I said uh <laughs> no no it won't because this is a closed bolt firearm, meaning that the bolt has to be closed, and then the, the, the hammer or the striker has to be dropped or released in order for the firearm to fire. In this case, since it's an M4, it's going to be a hammer. <laughs> so I can close the bolt with a round chamber and beat this thing on the ground all day long, and if the firearm is properly maintained, which it's my rifle, so it is, it would not fire So for at all. For that one, I mean, I feel like... And this is a, another good point to, to tell someone because it is it's quite funny. So sometimes people don't know, especially we've been handling weapons for a long time. But just be, you know, take your pride away for a second and ask a question. Like if you don't know what the weapon will do, if it does hit the ground, just ask someone before assuming and making a fool yes. of yourself of what it actually would do if you dropped it on the ground. That's a sign of a fake expert, actually, is yes. when somebody walks up with extreme confidence versus somebody who walks up with with a serious question. It's like uh, it's like when somebody walks up and goes, "Oh, there there is no Glock chambered in 357 Sig." 
versus somebody who walks up and goes, wait, you said that you have a Glock chamber and a 357 SIG. Please tell me more. You know, that, that's kind of where you can see the big difference between those two. There's a lot of fake experts in the gun industry, mm. um, unfortunately, and you really can't weed them out because, uh, well... They love the idea, the idea and the persona it takes on when you fire weapons. And, but really, the people who study or you know, look into certain things and how the gun functions work, you, you have a lot more safety in that. Is there oh, yeah. any other more misconceptions you want to talk about? Um, bullets flying through the air like buzzsaws. This was a really big thing back in like the Vietnam days. And there was a lot of writers that talked about how the M16s, whenever you'd fire them, the bullet was designed to tumble in the air like a buzzsaw and cut through its targets. That that is not the, that is not a thing. <laughs> that, that's actually uh, that's actually terrible if your bullet is buzzing like that because then it's destabilized and therefore not flying straight, and it's uh, going to be very inaccurate and it probably won't even go that far because of the amount of resistance going on there. Bullets do spin when they go through the air, but it's more like a top. They uh, they rotate like a drill bit as they're moving forward. And that helps, uh, that helps to increase uh, consistency, accuracy, and greatly reduces destabilization, which promotes the uh, projectile's ability to cut through the air. Now, when it impacts, uh, most of the time with, uh, with the FMJs that we're using, the, it, would, it would do something called yaw and tumble, which is when the bullet does do that, that spinning and buzzsawing type effect. And that, that's kind of what FMJs rely on for expansion is for the bullet to travel fast enough that when it impacts a soft body target, it'll tumble and it'll yaw and it'll fragment and explode and then it would cause the, uh, the damage needed to, uh, to the target that you fired at. But somehow, in some way, somebody thought, oh, yeah, the M16 bullets, whenever you fire them, they like to spin like buzzsaw blades. Like, that's not, no, no, that's not how that works. So if I, if, I ever, if I ever find myself in a conversation with someone about Vietnam and they bring this up, I'm covered. I know how to correct that person now. I feel pretty good uh, about yes. this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if you need like any, any further reinforcement there, you know, uh, I'm more than happy to, to jump in and to kind of help out or yeah. clarify anything. Um, you want to know the, why? You want to know why? Because there's no why? way in hell I'm going to memorize that information. I'm just going to call you, and you can explain it to them. <laughs> <laughs> lot, let, let me phone a friend real quick, because there seems to be some, uh, some confusion going on here. And, you know, I, I'll even admit up front, you know, I'm still learning things. Uh, I'm still growing, so I don't know everything. But I, 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 I don't even... Love it. I, I have so many people that... A lot of friends that when I go to, like, gun stores or when I go to the range or whatever, I'm talking to guys from uh, CADM. They're always like, oh, Harrington's an expert. He knows these things. And I'm like, uh, I wouldn't. That's, that's an overly optimistic title to give me. And I kindly reject it, sir. Yeah. I consider myself familiar with firearms, not, not necessarily an expert. Yeah. So it's more like, it, I mean, the same sort of uh, vibe I get when, when I play soccer or I play soccer with other people. I always take the approaches. There's always something I can learn and, and new and yes. develop. Even though I've been playing since I was four or five years old. There's always something I need to work and improve on. And I understand a lot of the concepts and ideas behind uh, different movement or striking the ball, different techniques to curve the ball. But I can't sit here and tell you uh, I can do all those things because that would, you know, over the years, the more I learn and grow, I'll be able to. I, I'm aware that they exist, but I need to get to that point where I can actually do them myself. Am I vastly better than most people or do I know more? Yes, but like... Like you just said, you feel like you're not an expert and you kindly reject it. I feel the same way about the things that I'm heavily involved in because I think it still takes a very long time to master anything or 
you know, know everything about certain weapon types and not put that that label on you because especially with weapons too, I think it becomes more important because then someone will look to you in a situation and you're like, well, I don't really know a lot about this particular weapon, especially if an issue or something goes wrong. So just wanted to add yes. that tidbit in there. Oh yeah. I mean, it, it's great advice for anything also. Like this isn't just for guns or sports or anything like that. It's just any person who tells themselves that I'm an expert, I know everything you're already lying to yourself and you've already proved that you're not even close to that, 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 uh, that title or that 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 stance in, in understanding, um, you really need to be open and understanding that uh, I'm never going to know everything. I'm never going to achieve the the know all of this topic. I'm going to always be learning. I'm going to always be growing, and just accept it as it is. That, that's just the case. There is no other way around it. This is getting philosophical, and I love every second of it. <laughs> Nice. Fantastic. Hey, so wait a second. I got a fun question to ask you, okay? I love questions. uh, Yeah, I just, I thought of this, you know, midstream of us having this conversation. And, okay, let's say you're in a situation and you need to pick two people from our flight to get in a situation where, zombie apocalypse, okay? Okay. So you got three weapons. You have to choose three weapons. And let's say you're in an open field with a hardened structure, this is going to be great too because you're going to piss off a lot of people on our flight. Who who are the other two people you're taking with you that you have full confidence in? And please just give your unbiased opinion on this. It's going to be fun. Just enjoy it. And which weapons are you going to take with you? Oh man, this uh, this requires time to think because I this is probably going to have to be one of those no, no, no. second decisions. No no no. Gun to head. You need to, you need to choose. You don't have time. It's, 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 it's a zombie apocalypse, and it's coming at you fast. And you got to defend yourself. Who are you taking with you? Anyone on flight? I, I just I just want to to make this clear. Most of the time, I'm going to dodge this question and run away. But this time, I think I'm actually going to play along. Hell yeah. Um, I I think I want to take you and Montreal because you've both been deployed to Africa. So yeah. there's probably some knowledge that you both have that I've never touched. Mm. Um, also, Montreal's very familiar with firearms as well. Um, I'm good so if that probably... I'm good if you get into a situation where we have to start fighting physically with the with the zombies. Yeah, that, that's probably that's probably why I would pick you too because you're like the tallest guy I know besides Hutch. But Hutch isn't on flight. Yeah, he's not on flight. So if Hutch was on flight, I would take Hutch over Montreal. Mm. But <laughs> so what do we what do we uh, what do we got on us? You know, what are the three weapons you yourself? Um, and then what are we defending ourselves with? What for zombies? Yeah. Are we, so is ammunition going to be a problem? Ammunition is not a problem. We can choose whatever weapon not a problem we need at all. to, to okay, defend cool. ourselves. And this is fortifying a building, right? Yes. Fortifying a building. Hardened structure. <laughs> Excuse me. Hardened structure, fortifying it. Ammunition is not a problem. Um, since we're working with you in Montreal, I think we're going to stick with military firearms just to keep things familiar or military based firearms. So this is going to be. um, uh, So we're talking about zombies, which means that they're walking corpses, which means that they're fairly fragile to to be realistically fair here. Okay. Um, A lot of people are probably going to hate me for saying this. And yeah, you can claim it's biased, but M249 and M4s are probably going to be our best options. Um. But. We're using hollow points and or tip projectiles. We're not going to be using oh, okay. uh, the ball ammo or the FMJs that we normally start working with. And the reason why I like it is because uh, when uh, when it comes to hollow points and tip projectiles, they do something called controlled expansion. 
And this is something that was kind of stumbled upon by accident, but more so kind of a, a, a win-win here. So whenever they designed the first hollow point rounds, the goal was to prevent overpenetration because FMJs have a bad habit of doing that. So what they decided was to work like a parachute, and when the bullet impacts, it's going to open up and it's going to slow itself down just enough to not penetrate or overpenetrate with enough energy to hurt somebody else. See, I tried to make this. That, I, tr I tried to make this a fun question, but yet you turned it into an educational thing. I just wanted to say that. Real I'm, quick. I'm happy to. Yeah. I'm happy to always no, keep turn going. things on its head. Yeah. <laughs> but so, so the the result of having a projectile open up that rapidly, that fast, and a soft body target hmm. is. Um, is, is a massive dump of kinetic energy. A lot of people think bullets kill, but I like to look at it in the perspective that energy kills. Bullets just deliver that energy. So when it impacts and it expands and it opens up, there's a lot of energy there that's going to be dumped. And it, when it's, you're inside of a soft body target, it's a very, uh, it's a very fluid type, uh, very viscous type material. So what ends up happening is you get a hydrostatic shock, and that's going to cause a massive amount of tissue to be pushed in all directions away from where the projectile is traveling away from the path of travel that causes massive hemorrhaging causes massive breakage uh, to to bones tearing of tissue so on and so forth and to summarize all those big terms if you headshot a zombie with a, a hollow point in 556 five, or 223 you're going to blow the back of the head open and you, most of the brains are going to fly out the back as well if you shoot them in the neck um, a friend of mine who knows more than i do told me that if you fire a 5.56 five, hollow point or frangible round at the neck of, uh, uh, I don't want to say person, but let's say zombie, just so we can keep things ready G here, uh, the head's going to fly off. You're going to decapitate them with a neck shot. Uh. Um, and that's not even talking about what can happen to the torso, and if ammunition's not a problem, uh, M4s, cause, or not M4s, but just AR platforms in general, the controls are virtually the same, just different barrel lengths and whatnot. You're going to get uh, that more lightweight platform so you can move around with it and not have to worry about being too heavy. But then for the heavy guns, we work with M249s because you and Montreal are in the military. I'm in the military. We've all had training on these weapons, so we know how to use them to their fullest extent. I wish we could pick a different firearm, but to keep things consistent, to keep things where we don't have to retrain, that's kind of what I would grab. And, of course, for sidearms, we'd probably use the M18s. Just throw hollow point ammo in there as well, just so we can keep that uh, that damage, the uh, the damage output that we're looking for, and I think we would have a pretty good chance. Yeah, I think so too, ladies and gentlemen. That's Kyler Harrington with no preparation on anything about a, a question about zombie apocalypse. That was amazing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> speaking about the sidearms, um, I'm going to transition to our last topic here. Uh, talking about what's better, we just transitioned from an M9 to M18s. We use M18s now. What's your quick early thoughts of so far transitioning to the M18 and what's better or what was better with the M9? Go for it. Um, so what was better with the M9? I think we could probably answer that real quickly was, uh, for starters, the M9 was a heavier, longer barrel handgun. Mm. So the longer barrel and the heavier weight reduced that recoil or muzzle flip would probably be a better way to say, not really the recoil. And when we reduce muzzle flip, it allows you to regain your sight picture on target a lot faster than with a handgun that's just flying out of your hands just about. And, you know, the, the MAT doesn't kick that hard, but the muzzle flip is, is tremendously terrible in comparison to the M9 because that barrel is like an inch and a half shorter and half that gun's made out of plastic. So... <laughs> 
yeah. the uh, the reduction in weight and the reduction in, in barrel length causes that gun to flip a lot more. And a lot of people aren't ready for that whenever they go into it. Um, even though the CADAM instructors kind of told us, that, yeah, you're going to experience a lot more muzzle flip whenever you fire this gun. So regaining your your sights, your sight picture is going to be a little more of a challenge. Uh, another problem with the M9 versus the M18, not really a problem, but more so uh, kind of a downside, is with the M9, you don't get a barrel tip. So whenever you lock back the slide on the M18, you're going to notice the barrel kind of tips upward a little bit. And with the M9, whenever you lock the slide back, the barrel stays fairly uh, parallel to the ground, or it doesn't really tip at all. Now, to some people, that means that it could have accuracy issues. To other people, it really doesn't matter. It's more of a preference thing. Me, personally, I'm just going to label it as an issue because some people will find it to be an issue. I personally have no opinion on the topic of the the uh, the, the barrel tipping up and down. But, uh, I mean, then again, I don't really mess with handguns as much as I should. I haven't really touched that topic a lot. Mm. But upsides to the M18, which I think there are plenty of upsides to the M18 in comparison to the M9, is for starters, capacity. You know, with your smaller mag, you get 17 instead of 15. And then you have those big Snickers bars, which are 21 rounders. So I don't know why we just don't have 21 round mags all the way around. Uh, I don't know why they give us an asymmetrical magazine pair of 17 and 21. It's just kind of weird. But uh, you also get the tritium night sights, which are nice for low light situations. You don't have to kind of try to figure out where your sights are at. You don't have to use the muzzle flash to no. see what you're doing. The tritium just the best, lights up. and you. That's probably the best thing so far that I enjoy about the M18. Oh, yeah. The, the, uh, and the nice thing about the tritium sites, too, is that it's not just green dot, green dot, green dot. They mm -hmm. actually went the extra step and made it two rear yellows, and then you have one green in the front. And then you can know, like, oh, if it goes green, yellow, yellow, I don't know what you're doing, but your gun is way cockeyed to the left. And if it's yellow, yellow, green, then you're way cockeyed to the right. So you need to center that green between the two yellows and line that, that, that up. So that, that's a really, uh, really nice thing. Another thing, too, is there's, there's an added safety to the firearm when it comes to disassembly. Now, it's not common in very many guns to risk disassembly, to, to uh, risk shooting when you're disassembling the gun. But uh, I had a friend who was kind of talking. He was kind of not really complaining, but saying, like, how come uh, the Glock didn't get adopted? And I said, well, there's a lot of reasons why, but I think the biggest reason why the M18 or the uh, SIG P320 was picked over the Glock is because uh, the disassembly process. Now, with Glock, you have to drive fire the gun in order for you to pull it apart. And <laughs> yeah. this is already a bad thing because that means that there's a round in the chamber, you're going to fire the firearm. And anybody who's not well-hearsed or isn't very confident or experienced enough can accidentally shoot themselves. And this is even this is also people who know what they're doing. I've mm -hmm. seen a lot of videos where law enforcement officers have accidentally shot their hands because they went to go disassemble the gun but didn't properly do a, a chamber check. And uh, with the M18, you have to lock the slide to the rear, rotate the takedown lever, and then release the slide and ha have it come off. There's also a magazine block, so you can't put the magazine in the gun when you rotate that takedown lever. There's also a sear block or a uh, trigger trigger block whenever you put the gun on safety or whenever you uh, remove the slide. So th there's a lot of those moving parts that all work together to fire the firearm are all blocked and stopped. So it's a very, very safe firearm to work with. 
in comparison to a lot of the other guns out there. Now, the M9 wasn't necessarily a very unsafe gun, but the M18 is safer to work with than the M9 is, in my personal opinion. Uh, another downside, or upside, I should say, in favor of the M18 over the M9 is the level of uh, maintenance required. Um, there's really not a lot to be done to the M18 to properly maintain it and to keep it in working order versus the M9. There's not a lot of surfaces that need to be checked. There's not a lot of uh, surfaces that need to be lubricated. It's all generally just a very cut-and-dry type of mm. uh, handgun. So but, uh, so in closing, what, I mean, what is your... What is your take on a daily routine in the military for what we do in our job? What would be a better option so far? I mean, I know it's short-lived. We've only had it for a certain amount of time in comparison to the M9. What is your preference on the job? Not personal, but on the job so far, do you like it? Would it be the M18 or the M9? Um, me personally, I would like to either A, have the M9 back because I shot better with it. Or B, they let me shoot the M18 more so I can get better with it. I mean, either gun um, is going to do the job. Uh, you know, there, there is, there, there, when it comes to comparing handguns, you're really nitpicking at that point. All handguns do the same general thing. It's all about preference. Mm -hmm. I don't really care what platform you give me as long as you give me time to, to get better with it. C comfortability. Um, but yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I didn't shoot very good with the M18. I'm not going to lie. You know, I shot expert with everything they've given me until I had the M18. Well, like and a, I was just all over the place with it. Like, it wasn't terrible, but yeah. it wasn't what I wanted for me personally. And I even asked, I was like, hey, is there, is there any way I can come back and I can fire more and get better with it and to learn where I'm hitting and to try and learn how to correct that, to control that muzzle flip? And they go, uh, yeah, in three months when you do sustainment firing, yeah, we can do that. Yeah, like, so well, three months. <laughs> so I mean, that kind of goes back to what we <laughs> talked about beforehand and practicing uh, consistently with one weapon, and that's why it's so difficult. Which I love everything that's kind of coming together here because you were talking about how you got to make sure that you're humble enough to take new advice. Because what people don't really understand is like, oh yeah, you're great at firing, great at shooting, and it's like, ah, I mean, uh, with a certain weapon, I've practiced a lot with this one, so yes. yeah. So it takes a lot of time to ingrain. So you do see upside in the M18, I think, from your response, because you're saying, I wish I had more time because I feel comfortable. But uh, a lot of people are coming back with the M9. It's a little bit heavier, and they like leaning yes. forward into the shot. And the way that that's muscle memory, that's that's the key to shooting yep. and, and knowing what you're going to do and what to expect when the weapon fires and it goes off. And transitioning to any weapon, although there are some functions I like about the M18, Early, uh, I still agree with you. Like there are things at the M9 that you're just, when you fire the weapon, you're prepared to do something with your muscles and your muscle oh, memory. Yeah. So uh, one final thing. Do you have a quote that you live by? But I get this from anyone who comes on my podcast. Do you have a quote that you live by either on a daily basis or something you like to tell people when you're having a heart to heart or on a 12 hour shift, like the name of this episode? What What is it for you? Um... For, for me, uh, it's kind of two different quotes that always just kind of come together in any situation in my life. And it's, it is what it is. And when man plans, God laughs. Um, and that's just kind of something that, that always plays in the back of my head whenever I'm doing anything. It's like when something crappy happens, it's like, oh, well, it is what it is. Or whenever you plan for something to happen, it doesn't go that way. It's like, well, man plans and God laughs. So, that's you good. know, li life is... Uh, 
life doesn't play by your rules. Um, life doesn't work its way around you. You kind of got to work your way around life. You got to be really reactionary to it. Um, stuff happens that you don't expect to happen, and you plan things for the future, but then when the time comes for that plan to be executed, something completely different goes on instead. Um, you just kind of have to kind of have to accept that as it is. You know, this isn't a movie. This isn't a book. This isn't, you know, your, your twisted fantasy. This is reality. Reality doesn't play by your rules. Reality doesn't care about your feelings. You just kind of got to work with what you got and exactly. keep on going. Things are always subject to change. It is what it is. Yeah. Kyler Harrington. Without a doubt. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast. I appreciate it so much. You have no idea. Yeah, we... Uh, <laughs> Well, we should probably uh, jump back more into that in the future, just because I really feel like there there was so much that could have been said that that didn't get a chance to get said. Oh, but. Kyler, you gave a lot of great instruction. I'm going to have you back on a special Saturday, just like this special Saturday podcast, and we can go at it again and pick topics and do this do this once more. But I really appreciate you coming on the show. Love answering questions. <laughs> <laughs> no problem, man. All right, projectors. Thanks right. for listening to the show. Thanks for uh, supporting the show. As again, as I said in the last podcast, we hit 400 plus plays. And you can find me on Facebook or Instagram. On Instagram, it's Project Sports Pod. And on Facebook, it's just Project Sports. Search us up. And if you're a fan of the show, make sure you like, share, subscribe, and make sure you repost or follow, like, comment on the posts that come out and support anyone who's on this podcast if you've enjoyed it. And tell your friends about it so you get them engaged and involved. Thanks again, Kyler, for coming on. Everyone, have a happy Halloween.